for the second episode in a row. It's the best of the best that ever played for the Oakland A's. You are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, welcome back. It's another episode of Locked on A's, your daily athletics podcast, keeping you up to date on all things A's. My name is Wayne Coy, lifetime athletics supporter and media dude. And the guy that you're also seeing on your screen there happens to share a last name with me because that's my eldest son, also an A's fan for his entire life. Hello, Ian Coy. Hey, what's up? Share a last little bit of DNA, about half of it, I think. (laughs) Yeah, about just about. Well, uh, we'll talk baseball and even more today. Some interesting stuff going on. I want to thank you, though, for making Locked On A's your first listen of the day every single day. We are free and available, just like all the girls from high school. And you can get us wherever you find your podcast, okay? Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. What are they doing? Well, they're giving you $150 in bonus bets after you bet 5 bucks and become a new customer. Pretty cool. All the information waiting for you at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Become a member. Start having some fun. It's that time of year. No fun tonight for Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints, by the way. They lose uh, to the Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Rams in L.A. by a final of 30 to 22. It's a lot of points. On both sides of the ball. Wasn't the game I expected either. But anyway, moving on. This is a baseball podcast. Let's talk about what are the A's doing. Well, they are saying, oh, no, when it comes to you being able to comment on their tweet. They announced the signing of Trevor Gott to a $1.5 million contract, the first actual contract that the A's have given to a free agent this year. And... When you would go to reply to that, you know, to say, hey, that's great, or welcome to the team, Trevor, you couldn't do it because the the A's turned off all replies to their tweet. They're the only team in Major League Baseball to do that. And again, it just makes you shake your head. Ian, is there any reason to do that? Yeah, because they get ratioed every single time they put anything out on the internet at this point. It's like, it's all sell the team and you suck Fisher and <laughs> whatever they, they uh, post on there. It's never, it's never going to be productive. Like they might as well just quit social media at this point. I don't even know why they do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously that's, I mean, I think that's the case, but you know, I think what they were worried about happening ended up happening anyway, but even worse because since they couldn't comment, what people were doing was they were, reposting the A's post with a comment, you know, with a quote. So they're retweeting it with a quote up at the top, and that gave them, again, the opportunity to say whatever they want. And you're right, they weren't very kind, especially after that. Yeah, you can't expect them to be at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, life ain't easy. What is that? It ain't easy being cheesy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ain't easy. The Oakland uh, A's organization at this point, man, you might as well 
it in. <laughs> a little tough. Well, um, Sean Newcomb, who it's a lot of people thinking might actually end up in the rotation for the A's. Remember, they grabbed him from the Giants last year, who at one point was uh, one of the Braves' highest-ranked prospects. Uh, the big lefty had surgery on his knee. And if you're going, wait a minute, didn't he already have surgery on his knee? Yeah, on his left knee. This was his right knee. And he went to the same doctor in San Ramon, right there off Bollinger Canyon Road, uh, to the uh, the surgery center, and they took good care of him. And the word is that, you know, it's arthroscopic. Is that the right word? It's it's not. They're not they're not slicing on you like they used to back in the old days. So they go in with a with a scope, do what they got to do, and everybody says that uh, Sean will be in spring training. Now, whether or not he'll be ready at the beginning of spring training, I don't know. But I think uh, it's not going to be one of those things that knocks him out for the. For the year, so that's a good thing because we need all the pitching we can get, right? Yeah. Did they just go in and clean it up, or what was the extent of the the injury to it? No, I think they did more than clean it up. I think they repaired stuff inside there. You know, gotcha. you know, I'm no doctor. I know I play one on the radio, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly what the uh, the scope of the scope was, but uh, you know, the fifth grader in me really wanted to say, well. First it was his left knee, then it was his right knee. I hope it isn't going to be his wee knee. Yeah. It's okay. I just said it anyway. I don't care. Uh, that's a fifth grade joke if there ever was one. Okay, we ranked uh, last episode, we ranked the A's all-time players by position, and that was just me. And, you know, when you're carrying it all yourself, you got to kind of rely on the statistics to get you through. I much prefer conversation and even debate. So we'll go there. Okay. Even though I've already ranked them, uh, Ian, I will give you the opportunity to talk me out of them. These okay. rankings or switch some things around if you want to. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. You already made the graphic, so we can't change it at this point. Well, it's, it's pretty much, I think the same universe of players. It's just which order you're going to put them in. Right. Now, you may you may surprise me. You may go off the board, but let's just jump right into it. In fact, I think we might have some of that coming up right now. Uh, the position is third base, and I will tell you who I ranked third. And a lot of people were going to say, "Wait, he should be higher than third. Carney Lansford. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining it, that thing he used to do. Remember, he used to have that crazy stance. Yeah, it was uh, <clears throat> with the the twit. It was twitchy. He was very fidgety, yeah. Yeah. So, Carney Lansford, obviously third baseman for the A's during their uh, run in the 80s, 88, 89, 90, um, and then on beyond that, broadcaster for the A's, heck of a hitter, uh, both with the Angels and the Red Sox before and after. Uh, and his time in Oakland certainly handled third base very well. Good defensive third baseman. I mean, it's hard to find any faults with Carney, right? Yeah, he was like, sort of Sal Bando light, <laughs> I guess you want to call him that. Like he was that same kind of presence in their lineup. Um, my beef with that, as we uh, discussed offline a little bit, was that by the time the A's were really competing, he was all but a kind of a singles hitter at that point. Uh, most of his pop was gone. He still, he ran a lot more. When I looked up his stats, he ran more than I expected uh, to see on there, I didn't realize he had so many steals. I think he had like 
42 or 43 steals in uh, in that 89 World Series season. Yep. Hit like 306 or 308. Like no home runs at all. Didn't have much pop, which is a big contrast to the rest of the guys on the team that hit like a pile of home runs. Uh, but yeah, I don't have a necessarily a huge problem. It's kind of sentimental pick, I think, for for third overall. Our our tradition at third base is so rich that it's really that's probably one of the toughest positions to pick. I think. It is, but somebody had to, so I did. And at number two, I've got a guy who uh, for a long time was probably the biggest offensive weapon for the A's. His only real issue was staying healthy, but he certainly played well enough and long enough to be able to get. The contract that is to this date still the biggest contract that the A's have ever uh, issued to a player. And that, of course, is Eric Chavez. And I know that was those were your A's, Ian. So what do you got to say about Xavi? No problem with him there at all. Um, You could make an argument he's number one, I think, a very strong one. Um, But, yeah, I mean, a ton of gold gloves, like had a couple of seasons where he really had like elite uh, home run power as well. And he just always gave you a solid at bat. Like if he if he came up in a late game situation with the bat in his hands, you were you were feeling pretty good about it. And those are just like though that was kind of the the dynasty that never was. And he was the the captain of that team. So yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay, so we're in agreement. We're in lockstep. And you mentioned him earlier. I'll mention him again. He was the captain of those '70s A's teams, the ones that right after moving to Oakland, basically started winning. And when they did, three World Series in a row, he was a captain of the team, the anchor for all of that run. Five consecutive division championships. War number six, Captain Sal Bando. Got to say that like Roy Steele, though. Sal Bando. So, so what do you think? I mean, is there any reason to not have Captain Sal at number one? I mean, again, it's such a, a rich tradition there. Um I mean, he's I think, perennial, you know, all-star guy yeah. driving 100 runs a year, hitting over 30 bombs a couple of years. I mean, and definitely manning a, you know, third base defensively. I I just think he's the package, you know. Yeah, my my biggest problem with this position is leaving Josh Donaldson off of it. But yeah. other than that, I mean, I'm pretty pretty solid with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you could make a, a case maybe even for Matt Chapman, right? Even though, you know, through no fault of his own. <laughs> well, yeah. actually, yeah, I guess it was his fault, right? Did we trade him or did he yeah. sign? Did he? Okay, it was a trade. Right, 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 right. He was under control. Okay, so no Matt Chapman, no Josh Donaldson. We're going to stick with our three. Number three, Carney Lansford. Number two, Eric Chavez. And number one, Sal Bando. Next up will be shortstop. But before we get there, I certainly have to tell you what's going on at FanDuel. In the thick of the football season, they want you to get involved. If you put down a $5 money line bet and you're a new customer and you win, your first bet's a winner, you get $150 immediately in bonus bets just for signing up. Don't forget you get the spreads, you get the player props, the overs, the unders, and all the fun that goes with being involved in the game at a whole nother level with FanDuel. So get involved. The app's very easy to download, and you can start having fun immediately and, of course, take advantage of that great deal, too. Again, you want to go to fanduel.com slash locked on, and, uh, yeah, just follow the prompts from there. You'll be able to do that and have a great time with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
Shortstop, a position that actually hasn't been a great one for the A's over the years, but every now and again, a player pops through that, uh, you know, makes enough of an impact that you can say, yeah, I was glad he was here. Sometimes it takes a while, and that would be the case for the guy that I've got at number three, who was a defensive nightmare at the beginning. But worst in the league. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's extremely difficult, said Ron Washington. And <laughs> and you can ask Marcus Semyon, who does he owe his uh, actually very good defense to now? And he won't even hesitate. He'll tell you, Wash. Ron Washington, now the manager of the Angels, worked with him on a daily basis. And to Marcus's credit, he put in the time, he put in the work. But, yeah, he had the yips at the beginning. His throws were just like... You close your eyes. You didn't want to see him throw the ball to first base because you were pretty much going to, you know, get one of those rockets that would almost fly into the stands about a third of the time. It was horrible. Yeah, they were nervous about putting him out there. Like there was talk of him going to like to DH. Like don't even play defense at all. Like, but what? Like, nah, I got this. (laughs) Well, he could certainly rake, and and now the defense is actually, you know. Up there, I'm not going to say he's the greatest defensive shortstop you'll ever see, but certainly more than adequate. And is he playing second base now, though? I think he is, right? Yeah, well, he moved over to second base. They're so freaking loaded that yeah. Though so they had Elvis Andrus at the time, I think, right? Before we got him, the Blue Jays, um, or no, I, no, I was talking about the the Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, Rangers. Yeah. Well, I think he might've made that move with the blue Jays and then kind of right. stuck. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. So he's okay. second baseman now, but shortstop when he played in Oakland. And uh, certainly I think there was a long period there where we, we really needed somebody to handle that position because the guy that's at number two would have been the last one uh, before that uh, MVP uh, in the year 2001. I think, or two, was it 2002? Again, doing this show without the benefit of the stats in front of us here, but it was one of those two years. But Miguel Tejada, of course, yeah. Yeah, I love Miggy. I named a dog after him. I had a a pit bull mix named uh, Tejada. So he was was my favorite uh, player on that team. So much energy. Like, the guy just lit the room up, man. Like, you love watching him. Like, the camera couldn't get enough of him. Uh, Some... PED stuff later on, like, but we all know he wasn't doing that in Oakland. It's all natural, baby. Uh, but he's definitely did enough to be our number two shortstop for sure. Yeah. Do you have that on 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 great authority that it was all natural while he was in Oakland? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think Jose told me that. Oh, okay. Well, there, there you go. All right. And at number one, you know, and before you go there, you're going to say, oh, great. You pick Bando at third, and now you're going to pick his teammate from all those 70s teams. I think you're a little biased towards the 70s. No, I just look at these three players individually, and I say, out of all of them, there's one guy who you can say pretty much personifies the Oakland Athletics as a franchise, as far as I'm concerned. Came from Kansas City where, of course, he got into the record books for playing all nine positions in one game in 1965. But from the moment he put on his white spikes in Oakland until he was uh, traded later in his career, like seven years later, 
Bert Campanaris was our shortstop, and Campy was about as electric a player as you could ever see playing baseball. You talk about that passion that Tejada had. Well, he certainly had that in spades out of Cuba and just fiery in terms of, you know, had a little bit of a temper, but beyond that, just the desire to always take the extra base, always hustle, always, you know, be the cutoff man when you're supposed to be. Just the little things that Campy did, and you just wrote his name in. I mean, he was the leadoff hitter, end of story, and led the league in stolen bases pretty much every year he played in Oakland. Yeah, you get to see that highlight of him chucking the bat every single uh, postseason. So that that's the thing that really comes to mind for a younger guy like me. But yeah, obviously, I've seen the I've seen the stats. I know I know how important he was to that team. I don't yeah. disagree uh, as much as. I like Tejada, and I think just you could make an argument that you know he made it might have been more all around talented. Definitely hit the ball a whole lot harder, but um, I think you still give it to Campy. Yeah, Campy. I mean, even though he would occasionally hit one out, uh, and usually right when you needed it most, too. Um, right. Not the power hitter, and and Miguel Tejada, to be fair, wasn't the base stealer. So. Kind of two different players, both playing the right. same position. But there you go. Those are our three shortstops. And I think we've been blessed as you, as you go along here and you go, wow, I, I kind of almost forgot that all those great players played in Oakland. So we've covered all the uh, positions except for the outfield. And we'll get to that in our next episode. But since 1973, there's another position. And we'll find out who we think are the top three designated hitters for the A's over the years in Oakland in just a minute. But right now, if if you like sports, all sports, you're going to love what we're doing. Something brand new that the Locked On Sports Network has come up with, an opportunity to check out your sports streaming 24-7, 365, seven days a week. And it's sports from every region around the country, not just baseball, football, basketball, hockey. They cover it all. And you, if it's a big story, it's being covered by somebody who's actually in the market, which is really cool. And then, of course, they handle all the big picture stories, too, with uh, uh, Locked On Sports. So Locked On Sports today, when we finish the episode, uh, we'll just send you over there so you can check it out for the first time. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe there as well. Well, if the pitcher's not going to bat, we'll just have somebody else take that place in the lineup. That was the idea behind the designated hitter and from the time Ron Blomberg of the New York Yankees took his first fastball down the pipe as a designated hitter. It was on, at least for the American League. National League, a lot a lot slower to adopt it, but the A's are in the American League. So we've got a nice, long 1973. That's a, what, 50-year, 60-year history? What is that? Is that 60 years? It is, isn't it? No, it's 50. Right? That's Boy. a heck of a long tradition. Yeah, I, I um, sometimes I'm very glad that you were on the math team, Ian, because I, I fall <laughs> apart when it comes to numbers. Uh, but yeah, 50 years, duh. Okay, 1973. That was the adoption of the designated hitter. And the A's had some forgettable names at DH, people like Don Mincher, and I, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but Jim Spencer, um, who couldn't hit a his way out of a paper bag, but Cliff, Cliff Johnson, <laughs> Cliff Johnson later on for the Billy ball A's. Uh, but none of those guys make the list. We actually go late eighties for our first entrant here. Number three, a heck of a career in the national league 
for a long, long time. But then he moved over to the American League to take advantage of the fact that he wouldn't have to play defense because he wasn't that great. And he sure struck out a lot. But when he hit a home run, he hit a home run. Some of the most majestic homers you've ever seen came off the bat of Dave Kingman. And I don't know, Ian, if you've ever got a chance to see him play. Not really. I mean, I just know from like absorbing every baseball stat of all time <laughs> when I was a kid, especially if it was the Oakland A's. Uh, yeah, for sure. He, he was, gosh, was he one of like the first stud DHs in the league? I mean, yeah. Yeah, he sure I don't was. Think it was like a featured position for a long time. It was kind of like the, the, you know, next best hitter on your team. Sort, sort of like the A's have been doing with their DH for the last couple of years. Right. Most of the league was treating the DH and yeah, Kingman kind of started a trend there where that became a priority position. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, well, when you hit 30 home runs a year anyway, and which he did yeah. do. And like I said, struck out way too much, but kind of bridged that gap between the Billy ball A's. And then I think his last year in Oakland was 86, which just happened to be the first year for a guy named Jose Canseco. And then came Mark McGuire. So it was the beginning of the winning all over again. So he was the, the gap. He was the one star that you would go to the ballpark and go, well, I hope Kingman gets a hold of one today. You know, played for the Giants, played for the Cubs, played for the Yankees, uh, but most notoriously as a DH at the end of his career, mind you, um, for the A's. Now, reporters hated him because he was kind of surly. And uh, famously, he... Uh, he didn't take too well to a female reporter being in the clubhouse. He didn't like that. He thought that they shouldn't be there. And uh, I can't believe this, but he actually put a rat in a box and sent it to that reporter. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that happened uh, off the field. It's what he did on the field, of course. It gets him into number three. Number two, a guy had a heck of a career already on his way to a Hall of Fame career playing in Chicago. And then from the White Sox to the A's, Harold Baines just picked up right where he left off in the Windy City, and he played for his former manager in Tony La Russa. And you do remember Harold Baines. I know that. For sure. I remember him being like 80 years old when he came to the A's. I think he played till he was about 103. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he, I think he made like an all-star team at like 37 or 38 with the A's as a dh Crazy. i'm not yeah he hit forever and was just uh he's probably the the best pure hitter on that team even that late in his career it's wild <laughs> i'm pretty sure he was the one who hit the ball that landed like one row away from us in the bleachers during the 90 world series that they of course lost to the reds but pretty sure it was his ball did harold baines hit a home run i think he did i think he did like game I, one i was and I wasn't at that one. <laughs> you were with the babysitter. That's where you were. Yeah. Okay. And then at number one, uh, certainly more recent, and a, a guy who uh, one thing can be said for him, consistent. Over 40 home runs a year, he'll hit 243, strike out a bunch. I think he hit exactly 243 for like three years in a row. And I think it was four years in a row, if I'm not mistaken. It was crazy. A it was 247 for sure 247 yeah so we're talking about chris davis of course <laughs> crush who is uh, there been a player to ever just drop off in terms of production as rapidly as he did 
never to be seen or heard from again? No. I mean, the other Chris Davis would be the closest example that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But came back and had a really awesome year. Um, A lot of those guys have like a down year or a year and a half, and then they snap back. It's like you just never figured it out again. It's really, really strange. I don't know what was going on in his head. It has to be mental. The guy was like the biggest freak of a specimen you'll ever see. He's got Popeye forearms. I mean, just huge dude. And yeah, I don't know if there is a scarier dude. And if you're going to give like one guy in at bat to come up, like, is there a scarier dude for the A's? At that time, at that time, no. But then a couple of years later, after he went to Texas and then came back to the A's and tried to work his way back to the big leagues through the minors where he actually did pretty well, uh, the skill set was gone. So, like you said, was it mental? Was it physical? Some say that there was a play in Pittsburgh um, in that last year that he was in Oakland where he was injured and he was never the same after that. So maybe that's what it was. I don't know. All I know is he could rake. And the pride of Long Beach, California ends up being the number one DH in Oakland A's history, according to our rankings. And of course, if you disagree or you do agree, whatever, love to hear from you in the comments section down below. Let's uh, let's get into the outfield in our next episode. Okay, we'll do that. In the meantime, this day in history, we're going to go to July 21st. What happened? This I almost couldn't make this up if I was trying to write a Hollywood script or a podcast script. Um, <laughs> this day in A's history, the A's signed free agent outfielder Dave Henderson. We just talked about the value of free agency and how sometimes you can get a player who completely changes the face of your of your team. And I got to say, it wasn't long after Dave Henderson arrived and started playing regularly in center field that uh, the A's turned around and, and became what they were, which is just a juggernaut in 88, 89, and 90. Would you say Hendu was a big part of that? Yeah, absolutely. The You didn't want to see either Henderson at that point in the lineup, man. And then when the A's got him back from, from the Yankees, it was like it was on from there, man. Yeah. <laughs> they were right. definitely baseball without a doubt, and that guy was a huge part of it. Well, our, I said our next episode, we're going to rank the outfielders. I got a feeling we might be hearing the name Dave Henderson again. Love the fact that he ran the fantasy camps, not just for the A's, but for the Mariners as well. And very sadly, he uh, underwent a kidney transplant. And then not long after that, in fact, uh, just a couple of months after, he had a uh, fatal heart attack and died. He was only 57. So, Hindu, you are missed. Let's get to our birth A's for today. And here, like I said, it's just weird how this has fallen down. But guess who was born 36 years ago today, Ian? 36 years ago. Yeesh. Guess who we just talked about as being our greatest DH ever? Chris Davis? 36 today. Wow. Now, okay. here's, where, here's where it gets really crazy. Also celebrating a birthday today, and he's 75 years young, is the man who was number three on our list of the A's greatest DHs of all time. Chris Davis and Dave Kingman have the same birthday. Well, let's go look all over minor league baseball and find the next one with the birthday today. Let's like, let's do that. That's a great idea. We should do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, happy birthday to Dave Kingman and to Kendall Graveman, who played for the A's uh, from 2015 to 2019, a big member of our bullpen there for those years. He's 33 today and celebrating his birthday in a Houston Astros uniform. I thought I totally forgot that he got traded from the White Sox to the Astros, but yeah, he's an Astro. Yesterday's A's quiz, we asked you who was the only member of five, no, six players who were with the Seattle Pilots in their one and only season, 1969, to come to the A's the very next year. There were six of them, but only one of them was a pitcher, and that particular pitcher won 10 games and led the American League in ERA in 1970. Did you know who it was? Well, if you said it was David Segui's daddy, you'd be right. Diego Segui, whose ERA was just 2.56 for the year. Mm-hmm. That'll do it. That will do it. So that was the answer for yesterday's question. Here's today's. Uh, we talked a lot about Dave Kingman and the fact that he came to the A's as a full-time DH and hit 30 home runs three straight years. What was Dave Kingman's nickname? Do you know? Well, if you do, put it in the comment section down below, and then tomorrow we'll let you know if indeed you're right. In fact, Ian joins us again tomorrow for another fun run as we rank the outfielders tomorrow. Let us know what you think about the show in the comments below. We do appreciate that. Thank you again for making us your first listen every day. If you can give us the thumbs up, well, that's awesome. It does actually push the YouTube algorithm a little bit, helps us grow the channel. So we thank you for doing that. Don't forget Locked On Sports today coming up in just a minute. First ever 24-7 streaming network and, of course, part of the Locked On podcast network. And I guess most importantly, just the fact that you took the time to get over here today. Don't want to sell that short. Appreciate every minute you spend with us and certainly hope that you'll come back and do it again. And until then, I'm Wayne Coy. You, oh, and he's Ian Coy. You keep on swinging.